0: You know what it is. Welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything. Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on-chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And we saw the next generation of the Flywheel on this episode. We had on Corey Kaplan, founder of Dolomite, and he gets all into, and then some, his next generation blending primitive kit. Thoughts on this one,
1: man? Um, I just want to start with Corey's origin story. It hit home to me in such a way, like it hits right deep into my core. And mm-hmm. then it, he's also where Dave is from in Jersey. So, mm-hmm. you know,
0: Corey was a kindred spirit not just <laughs> Kinders- in the
1: work we do, but also in our childhood and past life. So I was very excited to
0: Oh uh, yeah. We, we were chopping up like before and after. I'm like, oh this place, that place, blah blah blah. But yeah, this and, was uh yeah, go ahead.
1: And and then the the viewers are gonna get to kind of see the Experience of a person who has gone through multiple cycles and multiple product cycles of crypto, to to be specific, and how to iterate
0: and how to get involved, and it's a really good piece. And I, I, think, I think we did good. And I think you know, no one would have like a better eye on you know the trends that are upcoming in DeFi and what users want, and like what we should expect in the future of like the world on chain and the direction it's going the Corey. But we'll save that for the episode. And, but if you want to keep up with everything, Flywheel, you know what to do. Go hit that bell button right now. Go do it. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, give us a like. Every little bit helps. Make sure you follow us on our socials at Flywheel DeFi on Twitter, TikTok, and Telegram. Make sure you go to our website, flywheeldefi.com, to subscribe for all our latest updates, alpha, everything in between. And make sure you follow your Shirley on Twitter at DeFi Day 22. You can follow me at 0 capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. All right, everyone, welcome back to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with K, and this time we go out of this world to explore the whole universe of Dolomite. We have on founder Corey Kaplan, uh, who's been in the space for a long time now. Uh, You know, listening to your previous interview, you're back in the Etherdex days of 2017-2018, seeing the wonders of DeFi before it was DeFi there, back when it was open finance, Uh, isn't that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and so... Ether
0: Delta. uh, Ether
2: Delta, rest (laughs) in peace. Um, I think I still have funds that are like lost on there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: 100%. For a greater good, for a better cause, for experimentation. Um, So, you know, before we get to Dolomite, let's hear a little bit about your background. And it sounds like, you know, those early, early days of on-chain activity influenced the development of Dolomite. So, let's just start there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So. My background and my entry into crypto both were very technical. I went to school at Lehigh for computer science and business. And at the time, I was really into game modding and hacking a game called MapleStory, created by Nex- uh, Nexon. And um, I found myself like basically selling those game like, mods and hacks online. Eventually, they caught wind of it and shut it down, and then I was you know, collecting money through PayPal. So the natural way to get paid after that was either Western Union or Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was way less of a hassle to go through and set up considering I just got payment uh, functionality shut down.
3: So I hear about this thing <laughs> that you
2: can't shut down a payment network. And I'm like, cool, I'll just try this then. And I guess as they say, the rest is history. You know, from that point forward, uh, I found myself diving deeper and deeper into the trenches of the industry seeing Ethereum rise and the, and the concept of smart contracts eventually DeFi. So it was a really natural progression.
0: Yeah, you hear so many stories of this gaming, crypto, DeFi overlap, whether it was Minecraft, whether it was even Second Life with Linden Dollars. Uh, that's probably the earliest one I heard of. But, you know, this idea, uh, this like need uh, and demand to exchange, you know, gaming in currency for a cryptocurrency, it's not a coincidence at all.
1: Yeah, I, and I also think it speaks to the type of user as well, too. The type who is just in the gaming is always tech forward, right? Uh, and, and Corey, I myself am a huge mapler. I was a, you know, a beta oh, yeah? user back in two thousand three, 2004 for, for the North American servers.
2: Uh, yeah, I was playing since so yeah, about I, I mean, 2005 I, I, or so.
1: <laughs> I may, I may have, or may have not bought one of your mods. <laughs> if that's the case, we could talk more
0: about it oh. after.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. We're going down memory lane here. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun, but that was back in 2015 or so. Um, I had this natural inclination towards the tech, modding things, trying to find ways to break stuff, and actually that adversarial mindset carried over really well to smart contract development. There's not too many industries in general where you're like. Paid extremely well, or recognized skill-wise to just be like totally on top of, like and just being totally anal about something, and trying to be a perfectionist. Usually, like that's it slows things down. You're trying to um, really like stretch the efficiency of things to the point where you don't necessarily need to. But with smart contract development and the adversarial attacks that come from building an open source permissionless system, it was a natural crossover. I felt like a little kid in a candy store.
0: Was, uh, you know, developing on, in, on Ethereum and in the Ethereum ecosystem your first taste of
2: development? Or did you have development experience beforehand? I actually had plenty of experience before that. Um, I previously edit, exited from a company in college building um, CRM software for financial advisors. I sold it to um, AXA advisors, but now they're equitable. So it was before that transition. Um, so I had like a taste of building like enterprise grade software. Um, built all that from scratch. Actually, my in with that was I had close friends of the company that were complaining about how tough their jobs were because they had no software for it. And the upper management didn't want to hear about how some entry-level advisor was having a tough time of it because there's like a pecking order there where it's like, you got to like suffer through uh... it to eventually like, you know, rise amongst the ranks. And there's like a high turnover rate. So it's come to like be expected. So we were just out for dinner. they were complaining about their jobs. And I was like, Hey, I can make something that could help your lives be easier. And similar to Dolomite actually in some ways. Like, it was almost like an accidental business. And moving over then to like how that relates to Dolomite, um, uh, I exited from this in college, had a bunch of free time then because I didn't really take classes too seriously at that point um, and really wanted to just find cool stuff to do. So this is during the 2017 bull run at this point. I found myself working on like open source bounties for prominent DEX protocols at the time. The one that we did the most work for was something called Loopring. Not sure if you guys are familiar yeah. with them, but of they uh, yeah yeah okay, awesome. But yeah, at the time they were more like Uniswap, and that they were trying to build an open exchange protocol. Eventually, they transitioned to building the first zero knowledge proof application specific rollup, which is a mouthful to say. But um, <laughs> but back then they were trying to build this generic thing, and they had a lot of work to be done because they were building everything from scratch. The scaffolding that exists nowadays with smart contract development that you can get up and running quickly just didn't exist back then. The frameworks that you used. um, And because they had like this off-chain matching engine slash execution coordinator, they had to build their own indexing service as well. The graph didn't exist back then. So there's like all these missing pieces to the prominent DeFi stack that you have today that they had this Herculean effort to have to build themselves. So naturally, they wanted to post some bounties for things that were like little bit further down their timeline stuff that wasn't too pressing immediately and my co-founder and i adam found ourselves working on server documentation for them for an android app eventually they gave us closed source access to their matching engine and we ended up refining that as well to work with the on-chain world and we did all this work Mm. and didn't actually ask for anything in return from them um because we knew that there was bounty and bounties involved but we're just having a lot of fun with it and the founder daniel wing said do you want to Give us a business plan instead. You can build a dex on top of us, and then we'll just get rid of the entire like bounty rewards sort of system that you guys were going towards mm. anyway. So that's actually how we got started with the earliest version of Dolomite wow. back then. Um, same product name, just very different product back then from what we have today. Uh, so it was before- like 2018, 2019. Yeah, so we started building it technically late, late 2017, early 2018. And it wow. went live, I want to say by late 2018 or so, and then um we like took the beta moniker off around mid-2019 or so towards the end of it. That's super cool.
0: Yeah, no, like Kit and I both got into crypto uh, in twenty seventeen. So we yep. know and recognize all these names really well. Class and of twenty seventeen. Class of twenty seventeen, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> Few and far between, It feels, sometimes it feels like. But we're out there, and, like, it's cool when you meet other people. Like, yeah, it's 2017. Um, but with, you know, it's it's interesting how you guys – like, that was kind of like the preseason. That was like practice, uh, this bounty uh, exploration with Loop Ring. You were just doing it for fun. You didn't, And I like how you guys weren't expecting anything in return because I feel like that not expecting anything in return, you – somehow got a lot in return because you ended up starting Dolomite. Uh, can you speak more on that mindset of just like doing things just to do things and not doing in a transactional manner?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the biggest thing that's tough with our industry, especially if you join during a bull market, bull market brings in a lot of people but I usually call them tourists because they're coming in, they trying to extract value from everything that's going on because it feels like money's falling off of trees. I saw Loopring's market cap, just to speak about price for a moment, go from whatever its ICO price was around like uh, $30 million up to over a billion dollars in fully diluted market capitalization. So when that happens, like you just naturally get bombarded in telegram messages by marketing agencies, PR stuff, people that are just trying to find ways left and right to extract value from your project by trying to provide some quote unquote service. And most times it's not even a real or legitimate service they're offering. So we saw these bounties up there and we knew we had the capability to get started on them maybe not necessarily finish them in a timely manner we just wanted to go ahead and do it so we went through this work first mindset of let's produce something and try to get their attention that way and we'll see what basically goes or what happens from there so eventually like the work that we did originally was private like closed source and then we open sourced it to them as it was coming along cuz we didn't want to like have someone else potentially rip off our work while we were like in this Um, like, do-good mindset Mm -hmm. scenario. But overall, like, this uh, example extends really nicely to, like, one of our team members as well, Bobo, you guys are close with. He um, Mm -hmm. got started with us actually just working basically pro bono, but trying to find ways to help us out and put his best foot forward. We immediately recognized that do-good mindset of trying to take initiative while not necessarily looking for anything in return. Yeah, exactly. And we wanted him on our team from that point forward, and it was a really easy one of the easiest hires I've ever had to make
0: yeah I think you know when it comes to recruiting people in crypto whether it's for your DAO or your protocol those people that are just doing things just to do things whether you know answering messages in the telegram you know you know, adding stuff to the github and like you know advancing conversation additions there like those are that are just doing things to doing things are so valuable and they're even more valuable in a bear market because it's like ah you're not a tor- you're actually here for you know you're here because contributing. you're contributing, genu- contributing, curious, genuinely interested.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just have to find a way to to separate yourself from that signal to noise that commonly mm-hmm. happens in crypto. Yeah, and it like you know peaks, it, it comes and goes. Um, but
0: but now going into dolomite, well, we got into the inspiration into it and you guys have been working on it since 2018, 2019. So let's like go over that evolution and like how did you get to where it is today where it's, you know, on Arbitrum and, you know, it is
2: where it is now. So back then we built like this gigantic tech stack where it wasn't just smart contracts or front-end. We also had like a fully functioning server and order matching engine and relayer system that we had to build for it. And what we noticed over time, especially as like 2020 started to roll around with DeFi Summer, now, keep in mind, we watched this evolution happen of everyone loved tokens during the ICO boom, then everyone hated tokens again, and they were useless, to everyone loves tokens again during 2020. But um, while it was happening, like we were trying to just build this sustainable business because it was well-known. If you build an exchange and people pay fees, you can make money from it. Very simple. But over time, we started to get outpaced by protocols that built their liquidity and like their entire system purely on-chain. And then we also... Saw that like as DeFi summer blossomed, that the existence of like an on-chain ecosystem that DAOs could participate in and yield farming aggregators could be stood up and all these new auxiliary DeFi services were created. We saw those happen like what felt like overnight, and our old version of Dolomite was completely incompatible with this because our liquidity resided off-chain. You know we still use that order matching engine for it, even though everything that was traded was spot settled. It didn't matter because You need pure on-chain composability Mm -hmm. in order to really maximize your ecosystem's potential. So we saw good growth during that DeFi summer and late 2019 leading up to it. And we were a cash flow positive business. We did only a small fundraise in 2018. And in March of 2019, um, we only raised $500,000, which in the grand scheme of crypto to last this long, that's pretty unfathomable. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we didn't raise again until about March or April of this year. We announced um, a fundraise for $2.5 million. but between that four-year gap, we didn't raise anything. It was purely from us trying to run and build a profitable company before that. But we saw where the tide was shifting regardless. By middle of 2021, we made a tough decision to spin down that version of Dolomite to build what we have today because we mm-hmm. had learned so much about what happened in DeFi, we saw the frameworks that were put in place that allowed us to iterate much more quickly, and we saw that everyone wanted to really transact in a very pure on-chain world.
0: Mm. It, what was it like? I mean, that, that first of all, I commend you to like recognize that you needed to pivot, and then going through with that pivot because it's it's quite dramatic and you know off from the original vision of Dolomite. What was the process like thinking about like? Damn, everything's like on chain now. Like we have to adjust. Like, was it an easy decision? Was it like back and forth?
2: Uh, what was that process like? Uh, the process was very similar to like you're in like a losing trade, and mm-hmm. you know you're going to get liquidated. <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> what, am, what am I going to get hit with this? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah very uh, true. Okay, okay. Like, like we had made good money from like our previous version once again, which bought us time. And we had to make a decision, like, do you want to just walk away from this or do you really want to double down on what we see here? Because, you know, we had proven at least amongst each other that we could really build something of significance. And if we do it the right way, we can reach a much larger market and tap into some things that people weren't necessarily doing. Because we ourselves are, you know, DeFi, DGens, first and foremost. You know, I've seen so many teams that build great products or products that, that they think that are great. But you can almost tell that they never actually use it themselves with some of the hiccups and things that exist with it or the features uh, that are missing. Yeah,
0: you know, I've been, not even in crypto, but just in startups in, in general. Yeah. You know, that's always a bad sign. If, like, the founders don't use a product, then it's just like, what, what, yeah, you, want, you have to, like, want to use your own product. You have to use it. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah,
2: and, like, one of those telltale signs, like, throughout that wind-down process was, like, I found myself using Dolomite less and less, and I'm like, this is a problem. Um, we, we, build, we built this originally to fix our own issue, which, you know, winding back the clocks once again, we got rugged on one too many centralized exchanges and we wanted to build the solution that could fix that. And we didn't know it at the time that decentralized exchanges were the thing. Like We ended up like doing research into the industry, found the looping white paper, and that's how we got ourselves into it. But mm-hmm. going back to our roots, it was all geared towards trying to fix that core problem of we don't want to use a centralized exchange because we don't trust them, except for Coinbase because... We're US based.
0: Hmm, Got it. And so, what is Dolomite today? Give us like the one two sentence pitch and then go into detail about it.
2: All right. So, Dolomite is a next gen lending platform or lending uh, protocol. We're built on Arbitrum today. That's the only chain that we're deployed on. Um, You can think of us at a surface level, very similar to Aave. Come to us, bring us your crypto, you can borrow against it. You can run looping strategies, leverage strategies, hedging strategies. If you want to just go borrow against your ETH stacks, so you can go pay rent. You can do that as well. But diving deeper into what makes us different or next gen per se, you know, we, once again, because of our 10 year in DeFi, we saw a lot of things emerge over time. And when you think about how Aave and Compound and the you know the, the overall lending platform kingmakers were built, predominantly it was built in 2019 or so, and the mm-hmm. the iterations that came after that were in response to economic. Um, restrictions that need to be put in place in order to scale better. But overall, like when you think back to 2019, th- we didn't have the same DeFi ecosystem we have today. You know, we didn't have staking, vesting, escrowing, crazy DeFi tokenomics, voting, mm. yield farming, like everything that came along with it thereafter and all the new stuff that we haven't even necessarily seen yet. And what people came used to doing is if you want to go borrow against your stack on Aave or Compound, whatever rights or cool things that come along with your assets while they're on there, you can no longer do those things anymore. You know, mm. Adam and I, my co-founder, we call those DeFi native rights. So if you have a token that allows oh, you like to that. vote or stake and you put them onto Ave or elsewhere, you cannot do that thing anymore. Yeah, you know, we've seen some platforms that will like pool your assets and like they'll just claim the APR or whatever the yield might exist for you and like auto compound it or something like that. And that works for like some players and they might skim off the top. But when you get into like the weeds of like the like, real DeFi degens or whales or you know, family offices or some of those larger players that have mandates of how they participate with these protocols, they want to retain full control over their assets and how they transact with them. They don't want to necessarily see that when they deposit their ARB into a protocol, that that protocol is now going to basically steal their delegated vote weight. They don't want to see things like that. So uh... we built the platform to uh, be able to co-mingle with the DeFi ecosystem of yesterday, today, and hopefully the one of tomorrow.
1: Uh, I understand. Yeah, Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I think you guys are in a very unique position in that you got to see the past while also studying the present so that you're building a product for the future. So I I feel it's very comprehensive and I I went through the docs. I've listened to some of your other interviews and you mentioned one thing that I want you to elaborate on is that you allow the users to use all four corners of their dollar. Could you get into that a
2: little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So this goes into what we call our virtual liquidity system. When you deposit your assets onto Dolomite, we give you what we call a Dolomite balance. And your Dolomite Balance is very similar to, like, a centralized exchange funding account. When you deposit assets onto Coinbase, you can use those assets across all of Coinbase's services, whether it's advanced trade or on their portfolio page or other things that Coinbase might add in the future. And our Dolomite Balance system works the same way. So you actually can reuse your assets or use your assets in multiple places. So in the case of, like, our pooling system, which is more of a proof of concept, you can deposit your assets into a Uniswap V2-like pool And as soon as you put your assets in there, you are earning uh, lending yield, of course, because the assets are on the platform. Any assets on the platform are eligible to be borrowed against. So you're getting lending yield. But then as soon as you put them into the pool, you're also earning swap fees at the same time. So that allows you to earn what is commonly known as like the two of three ways that people earn yield in crypto. Um, Taking a step back, people usually earn yield from lending fees, swap fees, or yield farming. And you can usually pick one or sometimes two out of the three, but you can't necessarily do all three at the same time. But with Dolomite, you're actually able to do all three potentially depending on which which, um, assets you're looking at because you can then take the LP token that gets spat out from you participating in the LP pool. And if we want to list the LP token, you actually can put that back on the platform to actually lend that out as well. So there's a lot of things that could happen with our assets. It really depends on like where we want to recycle liquidity and where we think that we'll get the most product market fit for right now, even though we can do a lot of things, we're still very conscious of the fact that we're bandwidth constrained because there's so many opportunities out there. So we're constantly looking and evaluating where we think the most user mind share is, where we can do two really important things. The first is, of course, grow our TVL by driving more users through. And the second thing is actually do a little bit of like, like bragging or touting about some of the technology that we have and stuff that we can do that others cannot. Mm. So speaking to that history for a Mm -hmm. moment there, um, I think the first real release that we did that drove a lot of product market fit for us and started to establish ourselves as a different player was back in March. So we launched this version of Dolmite back in October of 2022, and it took us about five months to get this new feature out, which was uh, our GLP listing. It allowed users for the first time to retain full control over the GLP asset You can claim and compound your rewards yourselves, participate in vesting um, to vest your ESGMX into GMX. You can even do that while borrowing against your GLP at the same time, which was something that um, most platforms wouldn't necessarily touch whatsoever. We also allow you to do full account transfers into the system, which allows you to transfer your multiplier points so nothing would skip a a beat. And the nice thing with this entire process I'm describing is that, yeah, it's really complex. And if you're not a uh, GMX user, You're not going to understand what I'm saying, but the key thing is that this is one ecosystem with like four or five major pieces of functionality and our system is able to handle all of them extremely well and basically replicate the entire experience that you have on GMX's site on Dolomite as if you had never left their site in the first place.
0: So it makes the features composable with each other. Exactly. Exactly. That's super sick. So so
1: just to summarize, do you think the four corners of your dollars are number one is to earn lending yield. Number two is swap fees. Number three is yield farming, a.k.a. token emissions. And lastly, is that you could actually put those LP tokens back to work again. Those are the four yeah. corners.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Awesome. OK, and, and now seeing that you've guys done multiple iterations and constantly releasing new products how did you recognize when the product actually got product market fit you know coming from like a super experienced founder like yourself
2: um we never necessarily like flipped the switch and we're like yes we got product market fit it was very like a like a gradual process for us because we constantly find ourselves in a state of denial of like yeah, even though this, this thing came out, like we grew from it. We were still skeptical. We wanted to keep iterating and make sure we were heading down the right direction and um, really fulfilling a thesis. But when we did launch the GLP asset, we saw our TVL grow quite a bit. We saw more users actively uh, using the platform. We started to get more organic um, engagement on socials and people talking about us on socials, which these were good things because this is stuff that like we would have to usually like, pry at users to like do for us, whether it was talk about us or use us. Etc., And just seeing some organic flows come through without us using any means of incentivization Mm -hmm. was the key thing for us that made us extremely exciting. Right. And you guys are not
1: having any token emissions because, well, you guys don't have any tokens right now. Um, I I guess that's kind of a perfect segue into the uh, Arbitrum uh, um, stip, right? I, I've, I've looked around on your guys' rewards page, and you guys have a pretty unique uh, claiming model. Do, do, can you share a bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So taking a step back for a moment, when we were uh, looking to apply for the Arbitrum STIP program, it was a process of trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to maximize Dolomite's growth and use incentives for the first time while not putting our growth at odds with the interests of the Arbitrum DAO or and, and overall, like, ARB token price holders. Because at the end of the day, like, the, what they're concerned about is, like, they know they're going to be giving tokens away, and a lot of people are going to try basically dumping them, which will, of course, lower the price, make it less valuable, and they do it all in the name of growth. And usually that makes the yield farmers really happy. So in this situation, you have three key players to, to consider. You know, Dolomite, Arbitrum Dao, and the, and the yield farmer. So we were trying to devise a system that would allow us to align the interests of all three while not necessarily mm-hmm. having any one of them, you know, hate each other for whatever decision it is that we make. So when we built our, uh, our yield, yield farming program for the Arbitrum step, what we wanted to do was allow us to still grow and keep that price action in check. So when you come to our platform and deposit assets in, we give you this asset called OARB. It stands for Options ARB. And it's very similar to like a bonding program or an option token that more prominent uh, DeFi applications are starting to adopt. We're seeing options as a very viable means of incentivization that aligns yield farmers a bit more closely with the um, interests of the protocol that they're yield farming on. So when you come to our platform and you don't want to participate in yield farming or claiming OARB, that's fine. Like you'll have ORB allocated to you, but you don't have to actually go ahead and use it. And I think that, Part of our lesson with that was what we saw with GMX and their success. When they were doing their version of emissions, they used this ES token, which was an escrowed version of GMX. And the beautiful thing about it is that they were able to spit it out to users. And if you didn't necessarily care to participate in their vesting program for it, you can just keep it in your wallet and it does nothing for you. And meanwhile, the core group of GMX holders... completely unbothered by the fact that they're spitting out tokens that would never actually end up getting converted to gmx and therefore the supply doesn't get diluted so there's an interesting uh, paradigm that happens there with it and we wanted to take that concept to heart and use it quite a bit so when you have this orb token you can vest it into arbitrum of course and then therefore realize a profit from it but the way that you do that is do this vesting process and the vesting process is the real heart of the puzzle that allows us to keep these three actors as aligned with each other as possible. And the vesting process requires you to lock up the ORB for increments of one week up to four weeks. So you can do one, two, three, or four weeks. And while it's locked up, you have to pair it with an equal amount of Arbitrum tokens. So that means that if you're holding 100 ORB and you want to vest for four weeks, you have to pair it with 100 ARB then. And if you don't have 100 ARB, you have to get it somehow. So you could buy it, you could borrow it, but at the end of the day, you have to have it somehow. And if you want to borrow it, that's going to ignite some more activity on-chain, which means more sequencer fees for our Arbitrum, which is great. And it's also going to result in more activity for some of these financial primitives like Dolomite or elsewhere. Or let's say you're, you buy the tokens, but you want to hedge your exposure during it, then you can go to GMX and you can go short the delta of the ARB tokens and hedge your exposure while it's going on. But at the end of the vesting period, you're able to then purchase the OARB tokens for a discount. And that discount depends also on how long you decide to vest for. So if you vest for four weeks, you can buy those tokens for a 20% discount to spot. So if Arbitrum's token is trading at a dollar, you'll be able to buy it instantaneously at 80 cents at the time of vesting, which guarantees that you're in a profit when you execute that. So the reason why this is really good is because we're establishing a price floor for the tokens that we're distributing. We're still able to emit them at a rate that allows users to pocket additional incentives for lending on Dolomite, which is great for us. And the yield farmer is still making money, which allows them to be happy as well. So it was a good mechanism to align those three actors in such a way that we thought did a good job. And we did. You know, we're starting to see others look to adopt our model as well, which was our own form of validation for it
1: got it and the the pairing of arb, O oarb with arb is just so that the selling pressure and buying pressure kind of like nets nets out yeah exactly
2: it, it's very similar to like uh like one of the like, points of criticism that we heard from it was all that you're doing necessarily is delaying the sell pressure and that's definitely possible but that's also what a lot of teams do naturally by introducing vesting for their tokens so that they can't necessarily okay. sell them all immediately and the idea is if you can potentially stagger out these sales so it's not necessarily all coming at once, then you're putting, then you're allowing the market to potentially o- absorb more over time just through natural team. flows and volume that exists. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, it's super sick. As I was kind of going through the docs, I was just like, This is almost like the lending protocol vision realized, like having a native DEX into it so that you could use a a lending protocol with a native DEX so that you could do everything you want to do all the while earning yields and stuff. But then it kind of leads me to the concern of like, well, what happens when liquidation occurs and my dollar is being rehypothecated? Like you just said, all four corners, all four ways. Could you walk us through how liquidation engine
2: works? So, the liquidation engine is, it does like a step by step process to liquidate something if need be, whenever something goes underwater. So, naturally, like, even though we can do all these really cool rehypothecation strategies, we still have to be cognizant of, um, of like the amplification that could happen as you rehypothecate. Mm-hmm. And we have to put proper economic restrictions in place accordingly. But that's part of the reason why Dolomite special is that we do have a lot of, um, Uh, economic restrictions we can put in place to ensure that when you are at the last piece of the domino that if the domino does fall over we're still able to properly unwind all these different pieces of a a position as well as uh, what I call technical risk so taking a step back for a moment when you consider like the way that lending protocols tackle risk in DeFi they usually impose economic restrictions as, as we talked about minimum collateralization ratio supply caps borrow caps etc. These are common things that we see all the time with Aave, Compound, the forks, and mm-hmm. other protocols that are more unique as well. But we haven't seen anyone try to tackle this concept of technical risk yet that exists when you either rehypothecate assets, compose with another ecosystem, or a new asset, etc. And Dolmet is one of the first protocols, if not the first, to try to do this, which allows us to be like, comp- uh, position ourselves as composability first. And one of these features that we built out is something called Pause Sentinel, which allows us to read on-chain data from an external ecosystem. And if we decide in real time that something there doesn't look right, if we define what that doesn't look right is, then we could shut off that part of the system immediately to reduce contamination risk. It's very analogous to like cutting off a dead limb so it doesn't destroy the rest of your body. Um, to give you a more succinct example of what this really translates to, if the JUSDC asset from the Jones-DOW ecosystem and I don't want to single them out because they've actually been great operators and their assets worked exactly how it's supposed to so far. But if, God forbid, it were to take on bad debt and they were to pause the system, uh, Dolomite's Pause Sentinel would actually recognize this immediately, which would essentially close any window of opportunity that people would try to like fast exit through Dolomite by borrowing against their JUSDC or trying to pawn off a bad asset on top of us in order to drain whatever they could from uh. that point thereafter. So there's systems like that we have in place at our disposal that we can use to uh, make sure that any asset that we list or levels of rehypothecation that we add or ways that we compose with external ecosystems, we can actually impose these technical risk constraints to make sure that things get shut off immediately. And just to speak for a brief moment on where we got this idea from was watching the Terra Luna collapse. There were so many things in their ecosystem that broke because everyone expected the price of UST to be $1, if not pretty close to it. And there were so many systems from that point forward that were getting um, exploited left and right because Mm. they took bad assumptions and they weren't necessarily reading on-chain data properly. So we take the approach that if we want to do an an integration with something, if we want to read external data from a different source, we have to consider all possibilities of using it, not necessarily just the ones where everything works 99% of the time, because that 1% mm. of times when something doesn't work is always when the worst possible things happen. When so bad things like, happen.
0: So it's like a reverse yeah. oracle. Instead of like reading off-chain data, putting it on-chain, it's reading on-chain data, and, you know, taking off-chain and take action. Yeah, it, it actually that, can that, be looked is that at what like you that. Meant?
1: Mm-hmm. Is that what you meant by um, technical risk? Is that you take on the risk of the mechanics of another protocol? Like, is that what you meant?
2: Yeah exactly So, like you know if ave okay, lists it. wrap steak teeth like they're going to put the right collateralization ratios in place but they don't necessarily have the handling mechanism in place like in case wrap steak teeth just shits the bed got and it. like if that okay, happens like they're just gonna like fall on a windfall of bad things happening um i'm uh, not at, uh, mm-hmm. yeah oh, have you guys ahead. gone through a wave of liquidation yet yeah we have yeah we, we were live during pay. the ftx collapse um, oh, which was a lot of fun to experience, just because I say that one sarcastically year ago. battle scars. Yeah, yeah. yeah anniversary. But, um, Happy anniversary, another one Since <laughs> <laughs> <is 27th>. again, <laughs> again. But uh, yeah, yeah. So we were live for that, and I get a message from one of our. Um, it, well, he he became our investor officially after that point, but I get a message from him saying like, "Hey, hope the system's running smoothly." <laughs> and I'm like, what? And at the point I have like my headphones on, listen to music, I'm coding, and I had no idea what was going on in the outside world for that brief moment. And I went and looked and I'm like, oh shit, like eats back at it, like a thousand dollars like quickly.
3: Wow. So yeah, like
2: thankfully everything worked extremely well. And we didn't even go through any growing pains with that. Like it all worked as it was supposed to, which was such okay. a blessing. I think the time yeah, could, of most mm-hmm. stress that we went through was during the Arbitrum airdrop. And that's mostly because like the chain itself was just unusable.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that, you know, uh, I remember that airdrop. I specifically like set up alchemy. No, it's because I was like, oh, <laughs> but then it I was even like still so bad. RPCs, it was still bad. Yeah. It, it was still I, bad. I went
2: through, um, I, coincidentally enough, on that same day, we were trying to deploy contracts for something. And what, what, what we, were had we, like, we paid an absurd amount of gas for one. And for two, I think I went through like four or five different RPC providers to finally get two. one that would work. I think yeah. uh, QuickNode was the one that finally saved the day for us, but like Alchemy wasn't working and Fiora wasn't. Um, I think, I think uh, ChainStack. It yeah.
1: Yeah, Dude, it's like was some random
2: diamond in the rough.
0: <laughs> insane. Um, yeah. So, how do you like working in the Arbitrum ecosystem? Uh, I would say out of all the L2s, it probably has like one of the most flourishing DeFi ecosystems. Um, And where do you see Arbitrum evolving from here, especially in this, you know, multi-chain landscape? Now you have, you know, uh, specific L2s launching out with like Superchain or like CKEVM or even Arbitrum Orbit. So like, how do you think, you know, the world on chain on Arbitrum like reacts to like different chains launching?
2: Well, this... Looking at like how Arbitrum became successful so far, they did a really good job of like removing tribalism that usually existed in ecosystems prior to them launching, and they did a really good job like making a very warm and welcoming environment for devs to build things mm-hmm. and coexist with each other. You know, if I wanted to build Dolomite on a different network at the time when we launched, uh, it would have been really tough for us to nail down integrations because everyone was intimidated by each other. Like no one wants to work with the protocol that could be competing against them or be perceived as that in some way. Right. Uh, for whatever reason. And Auburn like, once again, re- removed that tribalism. And we think that that, um, that culture is still in place today, which is why you still see it doing really well. Even like before the STIP program, when there was like a token was out, but there was no incentive in place, you still saw a lot of organic activity and organic traction because the teams like Dolmite that make up the chain at this point have started to take the reins with. Arbitrum's growth and success and trying to find interesting ways to utilize the network that exists and grow it from where it is today to something larger and really utilize those network effects. So I think, you know, looking to the future, Arbitrum continues to do well because you have these, you know, powerhouse delegates that are really taking interesting initiatives to find ways to solve problems that help out the entire ecosystem. Um, If you look back to, like, the STIP program, when um, Lido did not get incentives passed to them because of some forum post issues. Yeah, some people like, took the time to laugh at them because, like, look at how big Lido was, but they didn't get incentives. Um, but actually, if, there was a couple of Telegram groups that I was in with some of the larger delegates, and they weren't necessarily bothered by the fact that they weren't getting incentives because ultimately, like, what they wanted to do was set up something special just for Lido because they, you know, they serve, like, this core ecosystem function, because wrap stake ETH is permeated across all of Arbitrum DeFi, so it's interesting to see like, yeah, you know, public perception that you see on Twitter doesn't necessarily line up to the actual action that you'll see mm-hmm. where delegates want to, you know, take initiative and actually do something, and that's what you see. It's like a lot of people that are just, you know, they're executors, they're doers. If they don't like something, they're going to go ahead and try to fix it. Yeah, you know, we saw this with Camelot posting about they're you know, trying to get like, the initial um, uh, arb incentives passed along to them, which eventually paved the way for the STIP program to be created. And these are the things that we see happen that are really important where it's not signaling. It's, you know, it's, it's real action being, being taken. Got it. Uh, okay. Were you about to say something?
1: No, no, no. Go ahead, bro.
0: Uh, I was going to say with the, you know, the STIP program, uh, do you have any plans for that for you guys?
2: Um, so predominantly like it's going to be uh, used for the ORB Oh, uh, oh, you said, that, you that, we said that about earlier. Yeah, 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 you said that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. But um, I know that some teams had like mixed programs where they're going to use like some arb for some things and some for others. For us, it was just really simple. We're just using all of it for that and and nothing else. Uh,
0: yeah, that's. We've actually seen like a few option like uh, program outside of step. We've like heard of like different protocols, like you know, use the option, uh, you know, route. But I guess like, what's your the trade-off with that, it's not as capital efficient as just like straight yield farming, but like at the end of the day, you get like less sell pressure
2: per se. Yeah. And one of the nice things with it as well is like the capital that is earned from it has to go somewhere. like from Yeah, exactly. the tokens. So like with the ETH that we're earning from it, we're just going to be redepositing back into the protocol and then we have an extra liquidity backstop and extra TVL from it. Mm. So that's like capital that's guaranteed to be in our ecosystem and stay there which is really good for us in the greater Arbitrum ecosystem where mercenary farmers would have potentially taken that to the next chain once incentives popped up elsewhere.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's on your roadmap at, at Dolomite? Is it you know, expanding your product suite? Is it going to new chains? Uh, oh, do you have any babe, alpha? Babe. For, yeah, what? Yeah. Oh, before we get there, do, do you mind if I ask, like, if Corey yeah, can yeah, walk yeah. us
1: through, yeah, yeah. Yeah. what is, Corey, what would you, um, could you walk us through a user journey on
2: Dolomite? Sure. So let's look at a uh, GLP as an example, one of the most popular yield farming assets that exists in the virtual ecosystem or LP assets. Um, what people would commonly do is they're holding GLP in their wallet and they go to GMX society every single day and they press the claim button in order to claim their ETH rewards. And then as traders lose money on GMX, the value of GLP also goes up. So they're doubly happy every single day. Um, but what we commonly saw is that people wanted to find ways to amplify those yields and, Throughout most of this past year, the yield for GLP has been pretty high around 10, 15 percent or more. And what people would then want to do is find ways to amplify it. And what people would then do is they would bring the GLP where tomite they deposit it onto our balances page. they then go over to the borrow page and open a new borrow position with GLP, and they'll then borrow USDC against it and loop it into more GLP. And that's what people were doing originally. And some of our earlier users called it a click simulator because the process of borrowing USDC, routing it into more GLP, deposit that, re-collateralize your position, then borrow more USDC and do that process over and over again in order to achieve some target leverage was um, – <laughs> it was annoying, <laughs> to put it lightly. Mm-hmm, so yeah. we released this feature called Zap, which allows you to one-click, leverage, hedge – or otherwise swap assets from any position. And it's not necessarily just for for repaying your loans. You actually could use it to, let's say you have $100 worth of GLP deposited. You could immediately borrow $400 worth of USDC and route it into GLP. But normally you wouldn't be able to do that, obviously, because you'd be under collateralized. But because this is all done in a flash loan context, and flash loans on Dolomite are free, you're able to do this really, really efficiently. So borrowing assets, going back and forth, all these things become a lot easier. Well, let's say now it's Arbitrum Season and you are a Camelot token holder or Grail. You can bring that asset over to Dolomite and you can borrow USDC against it and in order to leverage up and increase your exposure to it if you want to. Um, all these things are very easy from our borrow page using that Zap feature. You know, I've also seen a couple of much larger players that run sophisticated hedging strategies actually run Delta Neutral GLP or even Delta Neutral PT GLP Uh, in order to
3: cancel out the price exposure.
2: Yeah, exactly. The Pendle asset that offers fixed rate yield on GLP. They'll run uh, Delta neutral strategies with it where they try to cancel out the price movement of the GLP asset while still capturing the yield from it. So there's a lot of uh, sophistication that we see with the platform so far in terms of how Mm -hmm. people use it. When we look back to like August of this year, when we saw that, major price correction that happened across the board. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. lending platforms lost 25 to 50% or more of their TVL on Arbitrum. might lost about 10% or so at its peak and then started the rebound pretty quickly. And the main reason for that is because most of the usage of our platform up until that point was not necessarily leverage-driven, or if it was, it wasn't very price-sensitive. People were truly running long-term strategies with the platform because the efficiencies Ooh. that we are able to enable allows people to run really long-term yield farming strategies with minimal intervention required. The long-term lending protocol, the long-term
0: leverage primitive, dull and light. <laughs> yeah. Could, could you walk me through exactly
1: the mechanics of how, like leg by leg, how do you hedge away the PTGLP risk?
2: So if you're holding the PTGLP asset and you've already opened your position with it, and so you have a deposit as collateral, um, predominantly you, what you want to use is, the ideal target weights of GLP uh, in order to hedge it. So you'll borrow, you know, the ETH, WBTC uh, link. And if you care as well about the UNI, the, those component pieces of it, you borrow that. And, um, and I think and the most efficient way to that it Yeah, you borrow those on Dolomite, but then you can actually use Zap to zap those into either more GLP if you want, more PT GLP, or if you want to run a more conservative mechanism for it, actually into more USDC. So you can actually hold USDC in the position as well. The idea is if you're holding $100 worth of PTGLP at that time, and ETH and WBTC predominantly make up about 50% of the weight, you want to be borrowing about $50 worth of ETH and WBTC and then holding $150 worth of either GLP or GLP-USDC mix. So the idea is that those two things essentially equal each other and so dollar-wise, mm-hmm. as things move around, they're canceling each other out quite nicely.
1: Wow. Got it. That's it, super It convenient. works. And you can um, do this with one click.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you can. And it works. That strategy in general worked extremely well. Um, while prices are not crazy volatile, like things can move 20%, 30% or more when it's still okay, it starts to get a little bit wonky once it moves more than that. And you might have to rebalance it. But it's the thing is, though, funny. that most people were yeah, on, Sorry, the last thing I was going to say with that is that most people prior to Dolomite's existence were running, like, manual hedging strategies where, like, they're holding GLP, and then they walk over a different collateral asset to Aave or onto Binance, some other place to go run your hedging strategy. But then as things go out of sync, you have to actually transfer assets back and forth or else you get blown out from, you know, from a liquidation from one way or the other. So. What we found was um, appealing to like some of those quants that exist at family offices that were running GLP-based strategies, they immediately understood the value proposition for Dolomite and were able to start running things themselves, even if like their family office that they worked for didn't want to use Dolomite yet because it wasn't mature enough and didn't prove out its security yet.
0: You know, it's Not funny. It's, it's like, you know, you know, it's it's usually fine when it's non-volatile periods, it's 2030%. You say that in TradFi, they would shit their pants. But in crypto, <laughs> like 23%, we don't flinch. <laughs> yeah.
2: It was a Tuesday. Just, yeah. yeah, I was going to say that's just a Tuesday afternoon for us. Yeah, it's just a Tuesday.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I guess I got a last question is, like, these strategies, you know, I feel like the more complicated the strategy, the more liquidity you need to kind of offset that complexity complex, Complexity, a bit. Like, have you seen, like, issues with, with the, the limited liquidity and, and things like that?
2: Uh, I mean, generally, no, just because the strategies scale really nicely. It's not like there's, just like, some particular capital requirement needed in order to start to realize some gain from these. Because all the fees that you incur generally are percentage-driven, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. matter if you're running the strategy with $100 or a $1,000,000. Um, you would probably hit more constraints if you're running the strategy with too large of a, of a position size. Because then you start to run into like, larger slippage issues that can exist on-chain um, if you are a very pure on-chain user for running these kinds of strategies. So, um, yeah, oh, I think, like, I see. there's a threshold going up and not necessarily down
1: the liquidity is ac- pulled across, not just within your guys' native decks.
2: Yeah. I actually should mention for a moment, ah, this, okay. like the zap feature that we have and, um, and like, in, like the flash loans that we offer. So Dolmet as a protocol is able to um, not just compose around like other assets we want to list, but also other protocols we want to offer like liquidity for, for trading or for zapping as we call it in this case. So when you want to zap your ETH to USDC, or if you're like that Grail holder we mentioned earlier and you wanted to swap more USDC to Grail, we're actually we actually built a meta aggregator for it. And behind the scenes, we run that trade for USDC to Grail, or that zap you want to do to hedge your GLP. We run it through the meta aggregator, and we'll pick we'll pick for you the best aggregator output that we found, and we'll offer the swap for you that way. So you know, like Odos or Paraswap or others. it'll um it'll pick the best swap aggregator for you and then run it through there redeposit the assets then immediately and then you're rocking and rolling
0: all right i have a question uh there's obviously a lot going on here so i'm very curious about oracles um how do you guys utilize them how um you know how important they are to your system and like what risks are associated with those oracles do you have a month mul- do you have multiple oracles do you use chain link uh how do you guys view oracles and utilize oracles
2: i feel like this is like, such a layup question because um you know we always like end up shilling Chainlink a lot after this yeah but um we know yeah <laughs> i mean we
0: heard it before but like you know it goes <laughs> goes, with the, goes with the flow of the conversation
2: yeah 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 um, but we overall we look at oracles like they're on a hierarchy. You know, we always put Chainlink up at the top because of their proven execution, how well they operate. You know, it's it's best in class without a question. And um, and with that, like we are part of the Chainlink build program, so we do have uh... access to their engineers for adding new price feeds if we want. But um, I'll actually get to like our participation and build later. It's actually interesting for our roadmap later on. Um, so predominantly, uh... we'll use Chainlink for everything. But when it comes to like some of these more long-tail assets like GLP, we will try to mix in Chainlink as much as possible. So taking a step back for a moment, Ooh. GLP, for the listeners who are not aware, it's, uh, an app, it's a basket of assets containing predominantly ETH, wrapped Bitcoin, and stables. Like, yeah, there's link and a little bit of UNI also. But predominantly, it's, it's the three assets I already just said. And the the... Complexity with it is trying to value the trader p in order to offset its value. So there's a bit of algorithmic stuff thrown in there on chain for valuing it. But then all the, the value of the assets that are in there, that's all going back to Chainlink then. So we commonly will do this with other assets also if, um, if there is not a native oracle that exists for it, like PTGLP. Um, Pendle has their own proprietary AMM that they use for swapping PT assets against their original assets which has a TWAP mechanism built into it. So we use the TWAP mechanism, then we back it back to GLP, and then we back the GLP using Chainlink um, oracles for it. So it's, it's a mixture, but like I said, Chainlink's always at the top of the hierarchy. And then we try to mix in some um, algorithmic thing that makes the most sense for whatever, whatever ecosystem it is that we're working with. And if an algorithmic thing doesn't exist, then we have to create something that makes the most sense for it. So looking at like ERC 4626, which is the vault standard, um, that most people are familiar with, with like auto compounding vaults, mm-hmm. oracles don't exist for those assets naturally. So we actually built something using Chainlink automation that creates safe oracles for them that prevent flash loan attacks. And that's one of the most prominent mm-hmm. attacks that actually uh, you know, hit arbitrum DeFi over the past year and a half or so, were the price manipulation that would result in a lending protocol listing those vault tokens. Wait.
0: So you guys built a, you know, make your own Oracle, prefer 626 on Arbitrum. Yeah. We need to get that for S-Frax E. You know? We need to get that for s and put it on Fraxland ASAP.
2: Sure. If you guys want to talk more after this, I can point you to the resources for it. Definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um But yeah, just... Yeah. It's funny. We like publicly brainstorm while we do interviews. So I just, <laughs> it's like, oh, like, how could like this work? How could we work together? Like this and that, um, which actually like, you know, goes to my next question. It's like, how, well, were you done answering that question? I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: No, no, no. That was it. Um, okay. The only thing I was going to talk about later was our yeah. participation in build, but that's more like roadmap oriented.
0: Oh, I know. I know what I was going to say. I just had, you know, Zazie?
2: Yeah, of course.
0: I just had coffee with her earlier today. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, know. I've known Zazie for years. She's, I love her. She's awesome.
2: Yeah, she's like, like we were hanging out with her and like the rest of the team at SmartCon and like so uh, much energy. Um, you know, she like really embodies like some of the best of our industry, in my opinion, in terms yeah. of like the pure like energy and like effort that she brings to like everything that she does. Especially yeah, I like.
0: Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. She's like, you know, such a staple, such an institution. Zazie, we love you. You're appreciated. You got... <laughs> if, you're <listening. laughs> if you're listening. If yeah, you're so listening. To this later. <laughs> she's have always to. listening. <laughs> oh she she's gonna love this. Yeah. But
2: um oh wait, was uh SmartCon? SmartCon was amazing. Um so like I usually go to like the Ethereum conferences and then like SmartCon. Sometimes I'll like throw in like another like odd mix here or there. Mm-hmm. And SmartCon's like progressively be- becoming like one of my favorite conferences yeah. overall. Because um, it feels like a very nice, like, tight it group, whereas like the, the Ethereum conferences, like, you usually see the same people, but sometimes like depending like which events you like decide to go to, like, it's not necessarily a cohesive experience. Mm. SmartCon is uh, much more cohesive than that, but it's also the perfect amount of time. Like the ETH conferences, like, feel good being like a full week in duration. SmartCon is like half the duration of that because it is a smaller ecosystem, uh... of course, than broader ETH. So um, yeah. it makes sense that way. But I wish that they could I, find a way to also stretch it out. But I also understand yeah. why it's shorter. It's, it's a weird catch-22. Yeah,
0: I went to SmartCon back in New York last year. It was a very well-done event. I was, I was quite impressed. Where yeah, however SmartCon? good it's you thought the event was
2: in New York, it was, in my opinion, an over, like an order of magnitude better in, in Barcelona this year.
0: Oh, what It was an order of magnitude better.
2: And I, wow. I don't say that lightly. Yeah. Just uh, – The level of, like, detail they brought to the event, like, the actual conference itself, the hacker house they had there, um, there was always something to do that was going on that felt like Chainlink unified as compared to, like, trying to find something to do necessarily. Um, And they understood Mm -hmm. that, like, like, because a lot of people would be there, like, some events would be, like, oversubscribed, so there was always, like, a fallback thing going on. Oh, there's an overflow event. yeah. So okay. it was just it was just very well done overall. Um yeah. and like everyone that was there were builders for the most part and people that took the industry extremely seriously. Um which might just be a sign of going to a conference during a bear market. But mm-hmm. East Denver was like much more packed than I had. Expected, oh honestly. yeah,
0: it was it was a lot, and the venue was a, it was a new venue, and it was just a lot, and it's just like it smelled huge. In there. <laughs> it's like literally a rodeo in there. Yeah, like, like crypto's already a rodeo. It's the Wild West. It was literally the Wild West in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, what was I, I was going to ask next was um, you know have you had any conversations with Frax at all, and like are there any ways to like incorporate Frax in the Dolomite next gen lending system?
2: Yeah, there there definitely is. Um, I mean, a lot of the assets that you guys have in the in the Frax ecosystem could be integrated into ours in order to offer you know leverage looping hedging strategies for people to take advantage of. Um, uh, yeah. So I think that there could be a good place in there for that. I mean, even just like um, like for the stablecoin as well for people that have um, a diversity of assets they might want to might want to borrow. Um, mm-hmm. Like we saw like during the USDC DPEG event that MIM was a great asset to hold because it just, it didn't DPEG as harshly and also rebounded much more quickly um, Mm -hmm. than other stables. So like having diversity there also is really important for people to get access to during, you know, tough times like that.
0: I'm just thinking about like, you know, once FXBs come out and you have the yield curve on chain, like what crazy things you can do in Dolomite. (laughs) (laughs) Kid, I know you're getting ideas.
1: Yeah, no, for, for, I'm actually more interested in like uh, Dolomites' build platform or uh, are, are turning just to like, I mean, I guess this parlays perfectly into the roadmap question. Okay. How you guys are going to become more than just, you know, your your guys' own native platform. Could you talk about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, taking a step back for a moment, we are part of the Chainlink build program, which um, plays heavily into our future roadmap. So... We see Dolomite right now as this platform that's able to tap into like define native rights and give them back to users, which is an awesome narrative, and we love it. It's also mm-hmm. part of like what I would consider our shorter term roadmap. So generally, like all of our roadmap items, are could be like seen as a fork in the road. We have these short term items where like you might see like a trending asset or something that people are talking a lot about on crypto Twitter, and we will want to integrate it so that people can start utilizing it. You know, GLP is a great example of that. The PT assets. You know, GMX v2 is something that we're working on right now. These are all very trendy things because they drive attention and they also drive TVL. They're great. But the other part of our roadmap, which I didn't even talk about at all yet, really, is this concept of us turning into like more of a DeFi prime brokerage over time and not just mm-hmm. seen as a lending protocol. So when you consider like the overall DeFi user experience that exists right now, you know, if you have a loan on Aave and you like, you go out for dinner with your family and you're close to getting liquidated, like... You're screwed. Like you're out to dinner. What are you going to do about it? Especially if your you like, assets are on a hardware wallet. Um, so the idea of like having like on-chain stop losses, take profits, um, being able to rebalance positions based upon not just price movement, but maybe like price ratio movement, interest rate changes, etc. Like these are all really important things that need to exist for the on-chain world to start to become more competitive with centralized exchanges. You know, people back in the day were praising FTX for its cross-margin collateral system because you could borrow so many different things on there. And they have like all these different <laughs> advanced order types like TWAPs and VWAPs. You know, it, it wouldn't have necessarily taken much for an on-chain platform to start to overtake these features mm-hmm. um, had they existed and been reliable. But unfortunately, some of these things could exist today, but not necessarily reliably. And this is where like, some of these things involving Chainlink come into play because we would actually use them as an execution layer to make sure things are happening in as robust oh. a manner as possible. And the decision-making that happens with it is also as fair as possible. Because things like take profit are very simple because they really just limit orders at the end of the day. But when it comes to stop orders, there's a lot of nuance to it with how they could happen. Um, Like, do you want it to execute up until a certain point? And at that point, like, if the price just keeps tanking, forget about it. Do you want to execute the order no matter what? Do you want the price to stay below a certain price point for a certain amount of time before it executes instead of, like, if it just wicks down there, do you want to execute it? Like, there's so many things that could happen there with that. And those are the kind of things that usually lead to, like, potentially... A lot of user blowback because like this platform sucks. It didn't work, you know, correctly. You know, using Chainlink for something like that is the credibly neutral thing to do. Where at least if something bad happens, like it's all according to the rules, and people can't necessarily claim a conspiracy theory that you know Corey and the other people that work at Dolomite wanted to go liquidate you in order to extract value from you. You know, and these are really uh, important things to prove out over time uh, with the platform. So and the other piece to it is if you recall back to the time of the usdc dpeg event i'm going to use a really harsh example to exemplify the value of what we have built here but it does work really well under ordinary conditions also but looking back to that usdc dpeg event again what we saw on chain was usdt lending rates were extremely high because everyone wanted to borrow usdt in order to leverage up their exposure to usdc and pray to god that it would repeg. and if it did you made a lot of money from it it was a great great trade um you know, had that gone through, and of course it did, so people that did that did well. But um, if you were a USDT holder, and you wanted to withdraw your assets from Aave, you had to like basically snipe liquidity, and if you were a whale, there was like no way you are getting your money out, because everyone was borrowing it. So it was a really tough scenario, and also if you didn't want to underwrite that risk, once again, you were also stuck. So with Dolmite's virtual liquidity system, we were actually able to facilitate is if we set up a market for like USDT against something else like ETH or even USDC, it would have been a way for you to exit the system because maybe you could have swapped your USDT to ETH Uh... then pulled the ETH out of the system. So the virtual liquidity layer allows you to swap liquidity without actually using the hard ERC-20 assets. It's still technically spot-settled, but because it doesn't necessitate the actual tokens themselves to change hands, we can do it if the assets aren't necessarily there and for us, it's really just a ledger change for the system. It's very similar to like how some of the newer age DEXs that are being built, like uh, CrocSwap, which became Ambient, and you oh, just bought them before. Is it yeah, like they built, like, their, yeah, it's like a single contract. So this means that like, they're minimizing token transfers. And the thing that people didn't realize is that if you do that for a lending protocol, you're actually able to, able to facilitate swaps without the tokens actually changing hands then. So it's an interesting byproduct of how neat architecture can fix some of these really tough problems that are existential to DeFi under some of its toughest conditions.
0: Mm. An on-chain Prime brokerage. It has a nice ring to it. It works well for raising money, at least. I could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of raising money, uh, you got Crypto Condom to be part of your round. And I say that because I remember seeing their thread. Um, like online and they were like you know I don't usually invest I'm usually just on-chain liquid but you know Dolomite really stood out to me and this is why can you go into like what was like like uh, getting crypto condom to invest and you know what their input has been like because they've been a fan of a show for a long time
2: so I'm just curious yeah I mean in general crypto condom is probably one of the toughest nuts to crack in terms of getting them to invest in you <laughs> I mean um,
0: yeah I mean they're
2: protected they're literally a condom yeah like it's it, the, the secrets in the name right there
3: yeah but, uh, i mean kidding
2: aside like the level of uh, due diligence that they do into the products that they choose to invest in which are usually token like liquid funds like like crypto condom like they usually operate like a liquid fund but they also do like deep investments so it's kind of like the best of both worlds and overall like there was a really good i would say like narrative being painted because i talked to them for Quite some time and and it wasn't necessarily geared towards like me reaching out every month like hey you should invest like there was just a lot of organic conversation that happened back and forth that illustrated like genuine interest on both sides of the aisle for like me interested in some of the research that they were producing and them having very particular problems on chain with some of the things that they wanted to use because you know crypto economy they they naturally have the same aversion to using, using centralized systems at least with any significant chunk of capital because of the lack of uh, protections that exist there and ramifications of what could happen in case something bad happens. So, you know, hearing the things I'm talking about, like, you know, DeFi prime brokerage, advanced order types, like CryptoEconom was a huge fan of Dexable before it went under, which one of the most noteworthy features from it was having t wapping orders on chain available to you. One of the very few mm-hmm. platforms that offered it. And I think once that they started to hear about like, our roadmap is not to deploy to a hundred chains so that we can like, try to, you know, siphon grant money from each chain that we deploy to. And instead it was really focused on building <laughs> core product that they could utilize, you know, mm-hmm. a, a really strong narrative and a strong bond started to be formed. And then over time, like that started to strengthen even more, like as we just started to learn more about each other and our product and our vision, like those things mm-hmm. continuously remained aligned. And we were getting very close to closing our fundraising round. We had like very little size left. It was coming down to like us having to basically fill it out with like smaller angels then. And I was like, hey, like at this point, like you really should just throw something in. Like most times, like when you like have a rapport with an investor, like you're always very formal and professional. At that point, I was like, you know, like gloves came off. It's like, it's like, what are you doing? Just, just put a yeah, little bit in. Like, bro, just yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um. And yeah, basically they were just like, all right, you know, fuck it at that point. Let's try it. That's
0: that's actually very reminiscent of early on uh, in the interview when we're talking about just like doing things just to do things, you know, whether you guys were like building up loop ring or, you know, you know, bringing on people to your team. Uh, You know, with CryptoCottom, you're just having conversations with them. And then the conversations were all organic and natural. And then when it came down to it, when it was like the finish line, you're like, come on, just hop in. Come on, just hop in.
2: Yeah. And I think like, the, the alignment side is, is really important. It can't be understated also because, you know, crypto only invests in projects that they use. And we only want another to build a ourselves. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, these are, like, really strong things that, that form strong ties. And mm-hmm. what everyone here that's listening will experience, like, during this upcoming bull market that will hopefully come sooner rather than later or some people might argue we're already in right now. <laughs> but uh, bull market. regardless regardless of that, like the, the close ties and relationships that you form during the bear market are amplified during the bull because everyone has their guard up once the bull market comes back. And the ability mm-hmm. to foster new relationships if you're a new entrant at that point is really, really tough because the, the burden is on you to prove that you're, going back to earlier parts of our conversation, prove that you're not a tourist, prove that you have good intentions, Um, prove that you're not necessarily just here to extract value. And, you know, once you have that proven and you have, like, your core group of people that you know from the bear market, that's the people that you, like, ride the bull through, basically. Um, New people will come and go, but, you know, they're usually pretty consistent then. Like, you guys are obviously extremely close with each other having been class of 2017 and um you probably sit here and say like you know this bear market is nothing like 2017 or 2019 it's somewhat yeah. easier <laughs> we you know like, we're not going to zero we yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's non-zero that's what i always call it is there's a non-zero we're, yeah, like we're 20, going to non-zero
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah 2019 was like wow it's over it's like literally over yeah. this one it was like zero. there's like yeah I felt, like activity on chain and like you know so. the worst that oh, you heard like yeah. this
2: bear market is like crypto is dead i never heard that it's going to zero this this time yeah yeah. Whereas, like, last time it was, like, this shit's going to zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> That's my whole philosophy it was, like, non-zero. And, non-zero. and also, to, to speak to that, a good thing these uh, decentralized finance, David and I have uh, video evidence that we've been here throughout the Bear uh, building <laughs> and talking to everybody.
0: <laughs> Literally since it started, like, Luna. Literally since that. That's really
2: funny, actually, because, yeah. like, I didn't realize like, how much of an archive, like, not just my Twitter account, but the my Twitter account had become also. And one of the um, researchers from Castle Cap made um, a Twitter thread like a month or two ago going through the history of Dolomite. And there was stuff <laughs> that, like, I forgot about. I'm like, where'd this person find it? And, like, oh, they're just literally quote-tweeting us and, like, throwing oh, that into amazing. a long thread. So it was, like, really cool to see our history unraveled like that. It was, yeah, really, really fun to read through that. I'm like, my own trip through memory lane, I'm like, I lived it, but I already had forgotten about some of these things. And then someone going back and finding it, like, oh, wow, memory
0: lane, like you said.
2: Yeah, so it's nice to see yeah. someone using Twitter as a time machine, not just for finding, like, old racist tweets from someone, but instead use it for something, you know, more positive.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that was, like, uh, beginning of 2022, that whole f-
2: fiascos,
0: and everyone's was just deleted. Well, anyways, uh, moving on, <laughs> like, DeFi trends uh, that you see upcoming, what are some things you see on the horizon? And I also want to ask, like, since you're in the build program, are there any other... Build projects that, you know, we should keep an eye on.
2: Um, so I'll work backwards on that. So mm-hmm. build projects that you should keep an eye on. Um, I think, like, the the DeFi projects on there, like, could be pretty interesting. Um, I haven't actually been, like, too close with them so far just because, like, we've been so, like, steady building on our own lane. One of the ones that I've actually had some interactions with were uh, Space and Time, which is not DeFi, but they're building a really int- uh, interesting infrastructure for Proof of SQL which will allow you to oh, basically it uh, space and time. Space and time. Got it. Yeah. So Chainlink is actually working closely with them, not just like by virtue of the build program, but I think they're actually going to be utilizing some of their technology for some interesting Chainlink uh, product shipments later on. Um, but the, some of the features that they offer with it are like some of the things that are missing from the overall DeFi tech stack in terms of being able to like prove compute on chain. because at the end of the day, like proving compute usually means you have to like do some complex calculation, like a hash, um, Mm -hmm. or you have to prove that something exists in the off-chain world, like something in a database that doesn't exist on chain. So the Mm -hmm. idea of having proof of SQL on hand to be able to prove those things is something really interesting and it solves a pretty core problem that I think we'll see, you know, become more prominent later on. But, um, another thing then is blueberry protocol. Um, not to be confused Uh... with the blueberries from GMX, they are building, um, Uh, Blueberry Protocol, they started off, I think, as more of a yield aggregator or a vault platform that transitioned over time to offering um, real-world asset yields in a very pure DeFi context. So Uh. similar to Ondo, but they're doing it in, I would say, like, a more, like, pure to DeFi way in terms of, like, permissionlessness as well as, um, like, making everything, like, more composable with the rest of the on-chain world. Uh, They're on Ethereum mainnet right now, and they've had some pretty strong product market fit from what I recall. So far, uh, but I haven't checked in with them in the past month and a half or so, two months.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's funny. Uh, it's something that Zazi talks about me with me today was blueberry, <laughs> and so like, it's like, oh, two, I guess we should keep an eye on blueberry and space and time sounds really cool too, um, especially since Chainlink is going to be integrating them. But uh, what what trends do you see uh, upcoming, uh, this cycle and DeFi that we should look out for?
2: Um. So I'll talk about it more from a building perspective, and maybe it can get mm-hmm. translated then to more of a De- uh, DeFi, DeGen power user. But uh, yeah, we're seeing more networks get stood up, and they're no longer necessarily just a proof of concept state. You know, last bull mm-hmm. market was all about like the the layer one rotation game of new layer ones being stood up, and at that point, like the ecosystems being built on them were also very early on. Uh, but now we're seeing like Polygon, Matic has like their CDK, their chain development kit, which allows. Mm-hmm. New layer threes to essentially be stood on top of like their zkVM to, um, you know, to basically have like Ethereum pay for its security and unified liquidity, and there's some like thoughtfulness being put into there. We see that GMX V2 has a really intricate system as well for representing perps on chain, but it comes with, with some user experience hiccups. Of if you want to mint their GMX V2 tokens or wind them down, you need to submit an intent for it, and then it gets fulfilled sometime later. While all these things I'm mentioning right now might seem like they're unrelated, the thing that unifies them is if you want to cross liquidity in any of these circumstances, it happens what I call asynchronously, or it happens in more than one step. So if you wanted to transfer liquidity from your Layer 3 on the Polygon CDK or um, some super chain back down, like a Poly, or excuse me, Arbitrum orbit chain back to Arbitrum, or in the case of unwinding a GM token, there's a lot of similarity there in that it takes two steps to do it, to cross these layers. And these assets in DeFi, that means are also becoming more complex. So in terms of me also being able to brag once again about Dolomite, one of the things that we can do is unwind assets like that that require more more than one step to do in this asynchronous world where things happen in more than one step. The other example where this actually fits really nicely is with real world assets. If you want to go unwind a T-bill token, you probably would send it to a market maker or to some burn address that eventually sends the assets off-chain to the bank to go redeem them and eventually sends USDC back to you on-chain. These kind of situations where assets take more than one step to resolve is extremely complex to handle, and DeFi out of the box is not meant to handle it because smart contracts are meant to be atomic. They're meant to uh, to work Immediately where you can do flash loans and other really cool things like that to sell transactions atomically. Mm -hmm. But systems have a tough time handling really complex situations like that. So in terms of narratives, there's going to be a lot of really cool assets like that. And people are going to be clamoring for ways to, going back to earlier parts of the conversation, to leverage them, to hedge them, etc. And most money market platforms won't be able to integrate with them because of that complexity. And do is like one of the few that is, and that's actually what we have currently being audited right now by Guardian, is this asynchronous liquidation system and, and zapping slash looping system so that we can offer a mechanism for people to get access to a money market system for these complex assets. So taking a step back, I'll be on the lookout for these kinds of assets. Usually they're being built like this and they introduce this complexity because they offer some really new efficiency, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And I would pay attention to protocols that are able to integrate with them in a easy-to-use way because those are the protocols that are probably going to be driving narrative forward and collective mindshare because that's where the TVL is going to migrate to, in my opinion.
0: Got it. Yeah. Wow. I think, I think that's the perfect place to end is <laughs> right there. Uh, Corey, uh, thank you so much. Before we go, it's time to do the lightning round where we get to know a little bit more about our guest off-chain. So, you know, Kit, go ahead.
1: Perfect. So I'll kick it off here, uh, Corey. What was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch the
2: blockchain? And sex doesn't count. <laughs> um, when I first got Bitcoin for payment after um, you know, selling those mods for Maple Story, that was mind blowing. <laughs> getting paid without a bank standing in the middle of me that I was going to block the transaction.
1: And, and I, I got to ask, how did you off ramp those BTC through
2: Coinbase? Oh,
1: I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Solid.
2: Yeah, very, very then,
1: simple, luckily. Got it. And then uh, next question. What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity?
2: Uh, probably running.
0: Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would be some advice to your younger
2: self? Um, stay focused and continue to ignore noise. You know, during bull markets and other exciting times, it's very easy to get sucked into the froth and the drama and the things that are going on. But staying in your lane and staying confident in whatever decision is that got you to that point is probably the thing that you should be doing to continue growing as much as possible.
1: And last question from me is, if you weren't in crypto or tech or finance,
2: what would your professional career path be? Uh, probably sports science or doing Ooh. something involving like like an athletic trainer, physical therapy, something along those lines. Yeah, I really like the idea of like the human body just yeah, really amazes me. And the ways that you can like introduce science as a means to fix problems for athletes, to get them back in the field, back in the course, whatever their sport is more quickly, I think is really exciting.
0: And one final one for me, and honestly, this is how you end up on here was... Who would you recommend as a guest? Who do you want to see on Flywheel next?
2: Um, Has Jack Melnick been on yet from Polygon?
0: Yeah, he's been on a
2: few times, actually.
0: (laughs) Of course he has. Um, (laughs) I'm going to recommend... Yeah,
2: it was like he he was with the tie when he was on here. Oh, so it was very early. So either have a repeat appearance from him uh, representing Polygon then, or I'd actually recommend Slater then from Blueberry Protocol. Be an interesting person to have on. Ah.
0: If I learned one thing today, it's like go look into Blueberry. Right. Slater. Okay. <laughs> Got it. All right. And I think that wraps it up for us. Um, before we go, also, uh, could you drop your socials and where people can find yourself and Dolomite?
2: Yeah, absolutely. My Twitter handle is at Corey Kaplan3. You can find Dolomite at Dolomite underscore IO. Websites, Dolomite.io. And from there, all of our socials are on there, like our Discord. Medium. If you couldn't find our Twitter, our Twitter is on there as well. All the ways you can uh, contact us.
0: And there you have it, folks. Dolomite, thank you so much, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks, guys.
3: Uh, well, that was a great interview with Corey Kaplan from Dolomite. What did you guys? Dolomite.
0: You? <laughs> Sorry, I just Dolomite. To do that.
3: Dolomite.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to do that the whole podcast, but I restrained <laughs> myself.
3: <laughs> nice what were the big things that you guys took away from it?
0: Um, how powerful, like two things, one, how novel, like what they built actually is how they, you know, adapted their protocol to like basically pivot and evolve, pivot and then evolve in a completely different direction. They're like cockroaches. They're just like around. And then like, they, they, (laughs) they fucking made their way through the last spare market. Um, you know, sustainably, because like they said, they were earning revenue, they were earning fees. but When they, when they saw the writing on the wall, they're just like, okay, we got to adjust. And then they went from being, I would say, like behind in the pack with their decks to now being in front of the pack with their, you know, next gen lending platform.
1: Yeah. For me, like, I think the coolest part is when he alluded it to similar to being in a bad trade. Like, oh, that's you know, so funny. yeah. <laughs> it made a lot of sense because then if you have a startup and you're kind of building the wrong thing, like, do you either go on full tilt or do you pivot? Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's kind of like the two way out. And I'm glad that they, they did pivot because what they're building, I, I assuming if, if they get more liquidity and, and the the money market actually becomes more usable with size, I think it'll be a really awesome platform. I took a look at it yesterday and um, I I may be interested. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it's like when he said next-gen prime brokerage, it's just like I think of like how many shitty prime brokerages there were there. I mean, from like an outside perspective, I haven't used one, but just like the absolute failure that happened with, you know, Terra Luna, FTX, and everybody was just in everyone's pockets, and it just all collapsed. It literally just all collapsed, and now everyone's in courts and whatnot. But now if you have like an on-chain prime brokerage, that's a huge undertaking and a huge value proposition, and just to have that all trans- in in non chain manner transparent. Like I, I can't get over that. Yeah.
1: How about you, Sam? What, what was exciting for you?
3: I think it's just listening to the clarity that uh, Corey has when he speaks. You know, he's mm-hmm. done his research. It definitely sounds like, um, you know, he's never searching for anything really. It just, it just naturally comes, and I think that's really cool. Um, you know, he's able to explain things in a just hugely uh, detailed and uh, uh, just consistent manner all the way through, right? I, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that.
0: And, you know, it sounds like all the decisions, you know, whether it was leading Dolomite, the features that they're building are very intentional and they don't just build just to build things. Like everything has like a second order, third order consequence of what they're building. And that's pretty clear, and like that—that's like a really good sign in a builder that can like actually think that many steps ahead.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I it think it's
0: because he's been through some shit. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah,
1: <exactly. laughs> so, so. Some <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I found it really interesting to just hear about the um, like growth and uh, um, war stories from being on Arbitrum, right? About how they've had to navigate so many different. Uh, like growth problems to get to the point where they are now.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I wonder what he was thinking though, launching a contract the day of the airdrop. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I probably would have delayed that. But that was like, yeah, a, maybe a just start, like you know, in a
0: few days, like maybe double check the contract, you know? But yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I, yeah I think no, the community the, would have been okay. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, Dude, I feel I, like
1: a life, lifetime ago.
3: Yeah, I, I, thought it was really, I, I thought it was a really good recommendation. I mean, I, I'm um, pretty surprised by the interview. Um, you know, I've spoken to uh, Core before and uh, it's just, I think he's very well-rounded. And then, you know, it shows yeah. the stuff that he's building uh, there, it's not just another money market. They have a lot of uh, new features built into their product and uh, they really are doing something special there.
0: The long-term leverage primitive.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's 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 good to see. Um, uh, sorry, my kids talking to me. Uh, so it's it's just good to see it's just good to see them finally getting their... Um, uh, their their come up right especially with this yeah it's good to
0: see good to see builders winning we want to see Mm -hmm. more builders win we want to see more long-term in mind people get the recognition they deserve and i'm really happy it was recommended as a guest i'm really happy we started asking that question who would you recommend what like Mm -hmm. a great like you know source like lead for leads honestly bullish bullish
3: yeah yeah uh, what did you guys think t- uh, towards the end when he's talking about like Intense and Blueberry protocol, like, kind of like tying everything together in this infra tech system?
0: Uh, so like with Blueberry, I definitely like want to look into them more since they were mentioned twice to me in one day. Uh, in terms of Intense, like, I don't know, like how I view Intense is like, I thought it was just like a, I mean, I know they're like a real thing and whatnot, but they, they kind of remind me a little bit of like automation when I was like back at Gelato And I'm just like, did this just become a BC buzzword around automation? But like, no, there's like actually like stuff behind it and, and whatnot. But I'm just like, kind of, I, I haven't really looked into it as much, but it's like pretty obvious that like, it's going to become a thing, but I'm just like, I just kind of like focus in my own, my own, my own, my own thing. I haven't really looked into it tense too much.
3: Yeah. Like, I
0: I
1: know Sam ripped in a paper about it. But yeah, yeah, that's about it. Which I read. <laughs> yeah, essentially, again, it's should.
3: just it's just off-chain solving of transactions. So you're just essentially giving the transaction to somebody else to figure out what the best route is. Um,
0: oh, so it's automation off-chain. Yeah,
3: exactly. So it's like not nothing.
0: It's not anything. From what I've been told, it's not like anything new. It just became like like trendy. Yeah, but uh, it's useful. It's useful. It is. New it is useful
3: because you're essentially you're essentially like moving the mempool. Um, you're, you're essentially like, bat, it's, 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 it's two things really. So it's like order batching, where you um, are taking like an intent, right? Of what somebody wants the end state to be, and then they put constraints on it. Uh, and then uh. you, you take that, and so you can batch an order all together. So that's, that's the first part. And then the second part is, is like moving the mempool into this uh, off-chain uh, solver ecosystem. Where uh, once the attempts are broadcast, then you have solvers who then like compete Fair. in like an auction system to be able to solve them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So I just wanted to bring up since we are in Arbitrum Stip season, Dolomite does have a system uh, for uh, the Stip. I know you guys talked a, a little bit about it on chain, or, mm-hmm. sorry, on the interview, uh, but there is. Uh, are those incentives like yet? I mean, I'm looking at the let's take a look at that right now of, of they what I got. Uh, so for their deposits here, you can come and deposit YTGLP, which is for Pendle. They've got 45 percent uh, APR yield rewards right for that right now. USDC at 45 percent, MEM, pretty nice. So maybe maybe the uh, system has kicked in already.
1: Yeah, it has. it has. If you hover your mouse over the APR, you'll see the the breakdown.
3: Oh, yeah. So it does have here. So the USDC here that they have has a uh, a natural lending APR of 21% and then an OR rewards of 23.85%. So it's pretty cool. It's
1: pretty juicy. The, the way you could think about it is like you basically have a two-week vest on your ARB and it's, the great part is, the uh, market price in which you convert your ARB would be set only after you execute it. So it's not that you lock in the price today because initially that's what I thought it was. That's why I felt the TVL was low. But, you know, look at that. USDC is paying like in the uh, 30s, right, Sam? Or what? What it was showing right there? Just just like vanilla USDC single-sided you're, LP. You're it's muted, crazy. Sam.
3: Yeah, it's just uh 45% for... Yeah, for see,
1: 45%. UCC. 45%? Yeah, yeah so... Like it's vanilla. So that's, I think it's pretty awesome. If people, I mean, again, not financial advice. I am extremely
0: biased. Uh, Go and take a look at yourself for yourself, but yeah. Do your own research.
1: Opportunities there.
0: Yeah. And if you want to keep track of all the opportunities and all the alpha, not financial advice, you know what to do. You hit that bell button. You subscribe. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Give us a like. Make sure you follow us on all our socials at Flywheel DeFi on Twitter, Telegram, TikTok. You know what it is. Uh, you know, make sure you go to our website, flywheeldefi.com. Go subscribe right now for the latest alpha insights, updates, frax, DeFi, everything in between. And make sure you follow yours truly on Twitter at DeFi Dave twenty two. Follow me at zero capital underscore k.
3: And I'm at traders underscore insight.
0: And we'll see you next week.